Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we thank God for the opportunity to be here. Uh, it's been a, a pleasure, really, to, to be in your midst these uh, past few months to fellowship with you. You know, uh, one of the prayers we, we pray <laughs> is to find a church. I mean, it was a prayer for us when, before we left our country. Uh, and so we're praying for, you know, a place to fellowship. Uh, when you are out there, the story you hear is mixed, you know. And so some of us who are Christians from over there, when we want to come here, we really we pray a lot <laughs> to find a place to, to fellowship. There are things that you are excited about. There are things that you are scared about, really. So, uh, you know, we pray for a place where uh, we will hear the word of God. Uh, the Bible tells us in Timothy that the word of God is for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God will be fully equipped, lacking nothing. And so when you come to church, you want, you want to be convicted, right? If you are listening to the word of God, you want it to have that effect. You want to be reproved. You want to be instructed. And so when we came here and we, you know, we, we listened to the word of God, we felt convicted every time and, you know, this wasn't the first place we came to when we got to Oak Ridge. Uh, normally, I like to go to the church closest to my house. I believe in the concept of the local church. So uh, I feel that, well, these are brethren, so there's no need to be going a mile where there's a church a few meters from your house. Uh, but then we, we found a place which we couldn't settle in. So one Saturday, my wife just went online to search for churches around and then we found three churches. This was part of it. <laughs> this was one of it. So it was a Saturday. So I said, okay, let's go. Let's go and check it out. So we came here that Saturday and uh, uh, we said, okay, we'll come in the morning. So the following morning we came and then since then we've been here. <laughs> so that tells you that we found home uh, for the period. And then um, uh, I think this will be our last Sunday here. Yeah. We're getting ready to go back to Cookville. So we want to really appreciate and thank you all. Uh, we came at a time where you were facing some challenges. And you know, uh, as Christians, all of those things help us to become who God wants us to be. We have learned not only from the good things, but also from the challenge. Proverbs says that it is better to be in the house of mourning than to go to a place of feasting. Right? Because it sharpens your countenance. So all of those things have really uh, helped us. So we are very grateful. We thank God for every one of you. Uh, let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for the privilege to come before you. We thank you because of your commitment to us, because of the way in which you have loved us unconditionally. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you because you are right here in our midst, according to your promise, where two or three are gathered together in your presence. You are there. We do ask that, Lord, uh, you would help us uh, at this time, even as you have from the very beginning of this service. And, uh, Lord, that you will grant to us uh, light and understanding and that we receive grace in our hearts to, to uh, put to practice uh, what we are going to learn today. 
We thank you because, Lord, you will, by your Spirit, speak through us. Blessed be your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so I will just make some, what I call, statements of facts. Okay? I'll make some statements of facts, and then I will, I will state my thesis. All right? <laughs> and then I will give some evidence for it. We'll see how it applies to us. Uh, I, I don't intend to make it academic at all, <laughs> even though I'm a student. And this is normally how we go, but that's not my intention. You know, but I, I think that it will help us to do it in this way. Now, the first thing I want to say is that the greatest intervention of God on the earth is the birth of Christ. Uh, that's my first statement of fact, that the greatest intervention. History tells us that God has intervened over time in certain ways, in different ways. But the greatest intervention is the birth of his soul. You know, there was this pool of Bethesda where people go for healing. The Bible tells us that an angel comes at certain seasons to stir the water. And whoever it is that comes first after the stirring is made whole of whatever ails him. Uh, but all of those were mercy drops that God kept showing from time to time. We know God intervened in the birth of Samson. We know God intervened in the birth of Samuel and all of that. But the greatest intervention of God in the history of the earth is that he brought Christ to us. So that's my first statement of fact. I, I believe you agree with that. Right. Now the second thing I want to say is that the church, the church that Christ came to birth, the church ought to be the light of the world. The church ought to be. Jesus said that you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. In Matthew chapter 5, he talks about the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And therefore, the church is supposed to be the light of the world. You know, why Jesus was on earth, he said that as long as I'm on this earth, I am the light of the world. And after he left, I believe he handed over to us that button to be the light of the world. So that's my next statement of fact, that the church is the light of the world. Now, uh, I think over here is a debate, but when you are out there, it is actually not a debate that the U.S. and countries in the West are Christian nations. When I came here, I realized it's a debate that people are saying, no, it is not. America is not a Christian nation. You know, but when you are out there, it is considered a Christian nation. As a matter of fact, some years ago, somebody in Denmark, uh, I mean, he did a cartoon in which he had drawn the, the prophet of Islam in bad light. Do you know the morning of that cartoon, hundreds of people died in Nigeria because the Muslims thought that a Christian nation had done something against Islam. And so the only way they could revenge was to kill the Christians that were there. Even though it doesn't, it doesn't affect people in the West, whatever you do here affects us who are not here. <laughs> because the Muslims think that a Christian nation has done something. Um, 
I believe that when you hear nations in, the, in Iran saying death to America, they are not saying death to America because America is technologically advanced and filled with uh, some sophisticated people. I don't think that's the reason. I think the reason is because they consider America to be Christian. Yes, there's a support for Israel and all of that, but fundamentally they think that these are Christians. But I mean that, I know when you are in the, in the U.S., you will begin to realize very quickly that uh, the Americans don't see themselves as so. But over there, it is like that. So whatever happens here really, really affects uh, people. And then historically, you can see, yes, that this country has championed the cause of Christ. It has. I mean, you know, we come from Nigeria. Nigeria is in, is in Africa. And then we have a history. I went to a mission school. In fact, the very first thing that happened to me when I got to high school was I met one Martin Ashburn, an American, who was in my school. My school was established by uh, a missionary, and the, the man that started our church is called Samuel Deal, an American. You see? And so we benefited from, from this. These people came, and uh, we have these things they call mosquitoes. Uh, you have them here. Uh -huh. <laughs> but yours are not dangerous at all. I mean, we've been beaten, I and my wife, but uh, around our house there, but it didn't cause us any trouble, just the bite. But over in Nigeria and some countries in Africa, when you get beaten by mosquitoes, you, you catch a fever. We call it malaria fever. Malaria fever is the number one killer till date in my country. It kills more people than all the other diseases. And so when these missionaries came, and of course, because we were born there, somehow we are resistant, isn't it? We grew some, some, some kind of uh, toughness to the, to the bite, but they didn't have it. So they came and they got beaten and they died. But they didn't stop coming. They kept coming. I read about uh, Jim Elliot and his friends. The book written, Through the Gates of Splendor, written by Elizabeth Elliot, and how these five men finished from college and went to the Alcas, I think the South America, and they died, you know. And yet the wife and the wives of the other guys who died also went there. That was the commitment to Christ that came from nations such as yours over time. I don't know whether you know about Livingstone. Livingstone went to somewhere in Southern Africa. I don't know, I think Livingstone is from the UK, and he went to somewhere there, and he spent his life there. He spent his life there. Not long after he went, I think he lost several family members. The wife had to come back and leave him there. He came to visit his wife some time, and um, he just couldn't stay because of the call. You know, Jeremiah said that he thought of keeping quiet, but that he couldn't because that the word of God given to him was like fire in his bones. And he just couldn't keep quiet. Livingstone had to go back. He was ministering in those countries. He was weak and sickly. Uh, towards the end of his life, they had to carry him on stretchers. Take him from a place, just drop him, and he will preach to the locals. They will take him on the stretcher to the next village. He will preach to the locals. Uh, I think he eventually got exhausted. One day he came home and just told his servants to please help him to his knees. And then they, they helped him to his knees and they went out and they were waiting for him outside and there was nothing from him. 
after waiting for long, of course, he always prays. So they thought he was praying. And then they waited and waited and said, no, this, this is getting too long. Let's go find out what has happened to him. And when they opened the door and tried to touch him, he fell off. He was dead, praying on his knees for this African nation. And so this is the history we know from, from, from these countries, from the West. This, our, this is our story of you. Uh, and some of us benefited directly from, from the lives of these people. Um, and so you see, it becomes something very serious when the story changed. Isn't it? When the same nation that brought us the gospel, the same nation that showed us the way to Christ, uh, began to preach something else. It affected us greatly. Uh, you know, some years ago, just three or four years ago, it became so serious. For the first time in the history of my nation, some people were sponsored from here. They were Nigerians, but they, they lived here. They were sponsored from here to come and pass the legislation in our National Assembly to permit gay marriage. It was very strange. It was very strange. So the, 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 the last statement of fact I want to make is that um, this country uh, or the church is not where it ought to be. I don't know whether you agree with that. That as long as the message of the gospel is concerned, the church, which ought to be a city that is built on a hill that cannot be hid, or the light of the world, or the source of the earth, is not where it ought to be presently. So that's my last statement of fact, and I, I just want to give it a little background that we are not where we are supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have light shining here and there, but you realize that Jesus didn't say a house built on a hill. He said a city. I don't think there's a single house that will make a city. All right? So he says a city built on a hill cannot be hid. Uh, and I want you to agree with me that we are not where we should be. And that that is not completely bad. Over time, probably because of the nature of man, we seem unable to maintain fire. If you, if you, if you read civilization, they say one of the first things that started civilization is, is fire. But man by his nature cannot maintain a fire. Right? So when you start fire, you discover that it soon dies off. And there's, in history, there's been records of revival, but it comes in waves. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. And even as we look at the Advent story, you will soon realize that actually it is one of those revivals that is coming after very many years in which men have been down. Is that right? That it is one of those revivals that God, one of those interventions of God that is coming after 400 years in which God said nothing. 400 years of silence. So what is my thesis? My thesis is that God will always need a man to partner with on the earth. God always will need men to partner with on the earth in accomplishing his purpose. Even in the greatest intervention of God in the earth, he needed men. And we'll soon see that. I say I will see, I will I will look at some evidence and then we'll see how it applies to us.
if you look at Mark, Mark began by saying, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how Mark began. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And truly, if you read the book of Mark, you discover that everything swiftly goes to Jesus Christ. What he did, what he said, very little of what he said, how he acted, the way he lived. Mark just focused on Christ. But when you read the book of Luke, you begin to discover that actually this story of Christ is also the story of men. It's a story of men who were not in any situation that was different from ours. Men who had reason to doubt God. Men who had challenges in their lives. It was a story of men who were in love, were planning to get married. It was a story of governments with their irrational policies. <laughs> one man just got up one day and decided the whole world should be taxed, and therefore everybody should start going to his village. It was a story of governments that were not really necessarily uh, good governments. It was Herod, who, I mean, I've I learned a lot about in our Sunday school here. It was the story of uh, Joseph, a carpenter, and Mary, who he was in love with, who had plans for their future, plans of what they wanted to be. You know, it was the story of a widow, Anna, who had married, probably in her 20s, and seven years later her husband died. And until she was 84, the Bible tells us, or thereabouts, over 80, the Bible tells us she didn't cease day and night praying and fasting in the temple. These were people who could have questioned God. Their lives were definitely not perfect. But you will see that the story that brought to us the greatest intervention of God is the story of also individuals who God strategically placed to bring about his purpose, just like he has placed you to bring about his purpose. So the thing is, whilst we are looking forward to another intervention of God in our own generation, God, by his design, will count on you. God will depend on you to bring that to pass. So that's my thesis. And we'll look at the evidence. Our text is from Luke, but I want to begin from Luke chapter 1. We can't read the whole book of Luke, but my reading is actually Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. Okay? But we can't read all of it this morning. But first of all, I want us to look at the first man there, Zachariah. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, it talks about how they were both righteous, and how Elizabeth couldn't have a child because she was barren. You know, I believe they must have prayed. Uh, looking at the example of people like Jacob, the Bible says Jacob entreated God concerning his wife, and God heard his prayer, and the wife conceived. Isaac, Isaac also prayed. The wife was barren, and God listened to him. And then I know that someone like Zacharias, uh, who, who is a priest, who was knowledgeable in the word of God, will also have prayed. You know, they kept praying from the time they married. 
very young people until now that the, the, the biological chance of having a child is passed. And so you can imagine, they have stressed through to the question, is God good? Is God really good? Why would God not listen to us? But in spite of that, we see them here in Luke, the Bible says they were faithful. They were faithful. After these many years in which God seemed not to have answered their prayer, they didn't give up on God. So you see, this is the quality of the kind of people that God will depend on to intervene now in our own time. We also can testify that we've been going through some challenge in this church, especially with our, with our pastor, you see. And I want you to know that this is what God looks for. That even though we have the challenge of faith, we are not giving up on God. We are holding on to him. And that is what God is looking to. People who can trust him in spite of their own personal challenge. So Zacharias was faithful. He was going to the temple to do what was his lot to do. And the Bible says on one of those days, while he was doing that, an angel appeared to him. Now I want to make a point here. There are people who for some reasons, maybe because they've lost hope, they're beginning to think that there's no reason to gather the way we are gathering, that there's no reason to come to church and all of that. For me, it is instructive that after 400 years in which God has kept quiet, the first place he appeared was the temple. It's instructive for me that God showed up in the temple after 400 years. Now, I don't know whether you think that their worship was perfect. I don't think it was perfect. I think several things have been introduced after the last temple in the Old Testament. Several sects have come up. There's even this sect they call the Sadducees, who even believe that there's no resurrection. And for you to know that they are influential, they, they formed close to 50% of the elders' council. You see? So even, even the theology had become defective. But you see, all of that didn't stop God. So we can't be wiser than God. We can't begin to think, as some people do, that because uh, we've missed some things, the theology of the church is no longer perfect and all of that, we can't stay away that God still reckons with his body. The Bible tells us that the church is the body of Christ and God still reckons with the body. You know, there's a story uh, in the New Testament, in the book of John, about how Jesus died, and then after he had died for three days, Mary went to the tomb. And when she got there, she realized that Jesus was not in the tomb. Obviously, he had resurrected, but she didn't, she didn't know. And then she saw this gardener, uh, or she thought it was a gardener. And uh, she said to him, Sir, uh, are you the one who has taken my Lord? That if it, was, if it is you who has taken my Lord, give me his body so that I will take him home. You know, when I read that story, several things come to my mind. She's a woman. Let's say the man says, oh yeah, I have the body. Please come and take it. What will she do with it? <laughs> you can imagine a woman taking a dead man's body and then <laughs> walking through the streets of Jerusalem. But, you know, uh, I think it shows appreciation for the body the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. It may look dead, 
It might look as if it has been buried, but definitely it will rise again. So let's hold on to it. Let's not, let's not stay away from the gathering of the body of Christ. The Bible says it is good and pleasant for brothers to gather. It talks about how it illustrates the anointing on the head of Aaron. But it then says ultimately that it is there that God commands his blessing, the body of Christ. So for me, that is very instructive, that whatever it is you want to say about the church and the manner of worship in these years of darkness, in these years in which God has kept quiet, God didn't give up on it. And neither has God given up on his body, either here, you know, all over the world. Whatever it is that has happened to the church, like I said in my statement of facts about how the gospel was advanced, but it seems we are no longer doing that. I want you to know that God hasn't given up on it. And that God still intends that we do that thing for which he has called us. And so let us not be like those people that have neglected the gathering, you know, of the people of God. So that's the first uh, point I want to raise in the story of Zechariah. The other thing is for you to see the man's uh, faithfulness, the man's commitment, and his wife. You know, and so they went uh, from there, and the Bible tells us that whatever it, all the things that the angel told him came to pass. And in nine months' time, we have John the Baptist. All right. But before we get to John the Baptist, then we come to Mary. Mary. Mary is, uh, I don't know how young she was. There's a lot of talk about her age, but uh, for me, that is not the, the important thing. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary and coming in he said to her greetings favored one the Lord is with you but she was very perplexed and at his statement and kept pondering what kind of salutations this was and then the angel went on to tell her how she was going to conceive and give birth to Christ. Now, imagine Mary for a second. You know, this is a young girl uh, who, I don't know, she was in love with Joseph. They were going to get married. And um, here is God coming to scatter the whole arrangement. But you see what she said. She said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it to me according to your word. Now, here is a lady who is willing, who is willing to forgo her own plans so that the purpose of God will come to pass. You know, here is a, a lady who is willing to put her own reputation on the line. I don't know how many people believed when she told them that she is conceived of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how many people believed that. But she was willing to take that shame. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews, you know, that... Uh, that we should also, that Christ has gone outside the city. I'm not, I'm not quoting it well now, I'm just paraphrasing. 
and you know the shameful death in which Christ was put to. Bible says we should also follow him outside the city, bearing his shame. That individuals who are very concerned about their self, their reputation, you know, their status, and all of that, might not be able to partner with God for his purpose. I know that we live in a culture that is becoming more and more, um, you know, very, very challenging, especially for the young people. I, I, I used to say that some of the things that the young people are, are contending with now, we didn't contend with it, even though I'm not very old. I'm not as old, but we didn't contend with it in our own time. Okay. Um, there's somebody who said that um, on TV, I mean, they were, they were having this public discussion. She said when her daughter gets to 16, she'll just go and buy a contraceptive for her. You know, one of the one of the channels here, and they asked her why. She said, "Well, I mean, they, they are not going to stop them." <laughs> you know, last 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 two weeks or three weeks ago, Pastor Paul was preaching here and he was talking about the teaching of uh, uh, health, you know, sexual health and all of that, and they teach everything except abstinence, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, there are young people who are growing in this culture. Who believe that well yes even though they are christians they are christians they just believe that that's the way to go everybody is going that way but it's, it's very important to note that uh the challenges that we are facing people faced it before us the gravity differs but people faced it before us bible says there is no temptation that comes to a man that is not common to men and that in the midst of this kind of challenge, you will see people like Mary, all right, who have kept themselves. They've kept themselves, they've separated themselves for God. And those of us who are young here, uh, you see, you are not going to lose. You are not going to lose if you keep yourself for God. It's very challenging in my country too. <laughs> but today I do not have any regrets. You know, the that everything, Bible says that God will not withhold anything that is good from you. There's nothing good that God will withhold from you. Okay? So don't let the world, you know, push you in a certain direction. Keep yourself. It's possible. It's possible. And there are thousands of people who are separating themselves in this manner. Once Elijah thought he was the only one, God had to inform him that there are 7,000 people here who have not bowed their knees to bow. Right? Don't let the devil make you think that you are the only one. And don't let people who are blind make you feel as if you are blind. You know, I know the challenge. Far people will call you names. Make you look as if you are not, uh, you are not in tune with what is in vogue. You know, but these people are blind. Sometimes I wonder why people think that they are happy. I know they are not happy. I know they are not happy. People can pretend and look very happy in the public, but you don't know what is happening to them in their private lives, right? You don't know. And so don't let those people influence you. All that is good, all that you need for life and godliness, you can only find in God. The presence of God, the Bible says, there's fullness of joy. And at its right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Whatever pleasure you seek is in God. And so we see Mary, 
that she kept herself. She kept herself. I don't know what the girls in our generations were do, in our generation were doing, but she was separate. She was sanctified. She was. And when you listen to the, the words of Mary, you will know the kind of person that she is. When she came to, to greet Elizabeth, and then the Bible talks about uh, the, the, the joy and everything, and she began to prophesy. You will know the kind of person that this lady is. And so God is looking for people like Mary. The Bible didn't say anything about uh, Mary's mother, but the Bible says that when she conceived, she went to Elizabeth. And she stayed with her for three months. You know, I see it as uh, um, that the young people who have decided, who have made up their mind that they want to live for God, we need the cover that some of us who are elderly will provide. I can imagine Elizabeth telling the other people who didn't believe Mary that, well, if she says that she's conceived of the Holy Spirit, then that is it. Leave her alone. <laughs> Isn't it? I can, I can imagine Elizabeth providing that kind of cover for Mary. You know, that the young, when they face their challenge, they will need elders to run to. And we live in a society that is increasingly isolating us, right? <laughs> I had an experience when I moved into this new apartment. It was very, very interesting for me. It was very, very interesting, honestly. I, I came in, I didn't move in immediately because I had to move some things from Cookville for some days. So I was coming to that apartment for some days until eventually the first night I slept there. But the very first night I slept in the apartment, around 10 p.m. in the night, I saw a very bright light through my window and a loud knock on the door. See, this is the police. <laughs> so I opened the door, and then I saw some policemen, and they said that uh, they just wanted to find out whether I was the one who moved into the house. <laughs> I said, of course, I'm the one who moved into the house. I said, okay, they are sorry that somebody called to say that somebody has moved into the house. So I said, why wouldn't anybody move into the house? <laughs> you know, it was, it was very interesting for me. Why wouldn't anybody move into the house? These houses are available for lease, aren't they? And then somebody moved into the house. The person didn't break the door. He opened the door with a key and moved into the house. You know, but what, the point I'm trying to make is that, okay, yeah, yeah, let's say you saw somebody strange that moved into the house. I mean, you, you, could, you could talk to him, right? You could talk to him. Say, hello, are you the one that moved into this house? Oh, okay, I'm your neighbor. You're welcome, right? So, but we live in a society that is making us isolated, right? The person didn't feel, and, and I have nothing against the individual, he didn't feel that it was his, he, he could talk to me as a person. He had to engage the police, whoever the, I don't know the person, but it was one of those neighbors there, I know, but I don't know the individual. Okay. All right, so that's the kind of society we live in, and for us to be able to achieve the purpose of God, we must find a way to, to open up a little, okay, to fellowship. You see, fellowship is not just when we come to church. Fellowship is me and you in our place of work, individuals, to open up, to open up our lives. You see, uh, if any man thinks he's something, the Bible says he's deceiving himself. All of us have issues. All of us have challenges. We don't need to present a perfect picture, picture to each other. And so Elizabeth could bring in Mary into her house. She could provide a cover for her. And some of the challenges we see with the young really is because they don't have such cover. They don't have such cover. And I'm pointing at these things. I'm giving this evidence as the, 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 the things that God needs 
to bring about his purpose. There are some young people, and I mean, there's, there's a statistic that says that everybody who later became uh, something in the hands of God became born again probably around 11 years. I read that some years ago, 11 years of age. And so these people will need the counsel of the elders. Here is Mary carrying a divine purpose, right? A divine purpose. She is carrying in her womb what is going to be the salvation of the whole world. Now, she needed an elderly person. And you know that Elizabeth had that status, right? She is the wife of a priest. And she could stand in the gap. She could stand as a shield for Mary. And she was willing to open a house for Mary to come in. Even though she herself was also pregnant. She had every reason to say, well, Mary, you see, yeah, you, you are pregnant, but you see, I'm also, I'm also somebody in need. I can't help you now. But she was willing to see past that, and then she was able to, to help Mary. And then there are several other people we see in this story that God strategically placed. And we see that not all of them are good. There's Herod. There's Herod. There's Caesar in this story. There are the, the, the organized church, the priests. They are also in this story. You see the story of the shepherds. They are all here, people that God has strategically placed. This morning we learned that they were the first people to, to go and proclaim the gospel, the shepherds. That God has placed to be able to accomplish his purpose on earth. Now our governments might not necessarily provide the right environment for the gospel. Their government didn't. But it wasn't by complaining. Now, that is why I want to see these last two people, the story of Simeon and Anna, which is Luke chapter 2, verse 25, I think. He said that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus, he carried to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace according to your word. I see in this man, the Bible says he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for that consolation. I see in, in him a man of prayer who had prayed. In fact, it seems to me that it is in this place where he was praying that God revealed to him. You know, there were many people in Israel. And the Bible didn't even tell us that this man is a priest or any religious leader. Or any, he's just an ordinary folk who comes to the temple like an ordinary folk. But he had desired the consolation of Israel. He had prayed about it. And God revealed to him that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. And when you follow that story, you will see Anna's story, who had married for just seven years. And the Bible says day and night she didn't cease to pray and to fast. So, what have I said? 
that the church ought to be the light of the world. That we are a city <clears throat> that is built on a hill that cannot be hidden. That all that God is going to do on the earth, if you read Psalm 115, verse 16, the Bible says the heavens, the heavens, they belong to God. But the earth, what has he done? He has given it to the sons of men. That's the partnership. In Genesis chapter 5, the Bible tells us that God hadn't sent rain upon the earth. And his reason is that there was not a man to till the ground. That's why he didn't send the rain. As soon as he found man to till the ground, he sent rain. So that whatever God is going to do upon the earth, whatever you want God to do, whatever you are desiring, whatever you are praying, that God is going to need a partner on the earth to do it. And that this partner has to have certain qualities. This partner doesn't have to be a religious leader. This partner doesn't have to be in government. You know, there are people who think that the salvation of the church will come from the government. This partner doesn't have to be in government. This partner doesn't have to be someone who influences policy. He just needs to be an ordinary folk that has these qualities that we are seeing, which we cannot really go uh, talk in detail about, but you can go back and look at it for yourself. It has these qualities that we are seeing in people like Mary, in people like Zachariah, who can be committed to their marriage in spite of the challenge. In spite of the challenge. You see, the priest had specifications as to who to marry, if you read the Old Testament. Who a priest should marry is specified. And so Zachariah had every reason to probably have divorced Elizabeth. All right, but he was committed to it. Someone like Zachariah could advise a young man who is facing challenge in his marriage. You know, sometimes in my mind I used to think, when I think about divorce, I used to say, so if all of us bail out, <laughs> all of us bail out, what will we tell the next generation? What will you tell them? What testimony will we present before them? You see, so this man was committed. So these are the qualities that God will look for. And I'm not saying that what I've said now is exhaustive, no. I'm just pointing us to it. So you will see people of prayer, like Anna, and fasting. You know, this is important too. We need to pray and fast. You can't be at ease in Zion. That's what the Bible says. It says, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Let us not desire a life. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't, we shouldn't enjoy what God has provided for us. But let's not primarily desire, primarily desire a life of ease. Okay? Anna prayed every day. She fasted deliberately. And what was she praying for? She was praying that God will do something. So I'm praying for us too as we desire God's intervention. You know, I feel strongly that the world, Christianity in the world, will not be what God wants it to be unless it becomes what it ought to be again in a country like America. You have the resources, you have the people, you have what it takes. But we have to position ourselves to partner with God in bringing this to pass.
Let us pray. Our Lord, we are grateful for, for your word to us. We thank you because of your intervention in our lives. We thank you because of Christ. Uh, we thank you because you look to us to agree with you in what you want to do. The Bible says it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And Lord, we know that our strength cannot bring this to pass, but that you can help us. You can cause, Lord, that we will have even greater understanding than the time we've had this morning. And Lord, you will give us the grace to begin to, more than we have done, uh, position ourselves for your purpose in these last days. We thank you because you've had this prayer. We pray that you will bless the week ahead of us as we come to borrow, Lord, that your presence will be with us. And through this season, you will cause that indeed we will have the joy that you intend for the coming of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.